Hello, this is Denise O'Connor with Pearls on Tuesday, and today I am going to begin reading from a memoir I am publishing called Cherished Child, My Life with Nanny. This is Chapter One, You Are My Sunshine. It is humid in the big Chrysler. The metal car doors are hot to the touch, and the faux leather seats are sticky on the backs of my bare legs. I am still wearing my shorty pajamas, the ones painted with pink and blue kittens and elastic legs so that they resemble bloomers rather than shorts. The windows are rolled partially down. A warm breeze keeps my wispy dark hair out of my face. I can only see about an inch above the door, but I know exactly where we are and where we are going. Every weekday morning on his way into the Norfolk Naval Shipyard, my father drives me to Nanny's house. As a baby, I was taken to 2400, as she called it. The Nanny's house I know now as a child is in the Brentwood section of Chesapeake, Virginia. The nanny of which I speak is my father's mother, known to others as Florencia, Florence, or Flo. There is also a poppy in the home, but he played a supporting role and was never center stage. I spent each season of the year at nanny's house while my parents went to work. Often, if they went out with friends or on a trip, I stayed the weekend with Nanny as well. I was an only child born to young parents. Actually, Nanny was a mere 40 years old when she became my grandmother, forever to be known as Nanny. But having helped her mother raise five younger siblings during the Great Depression, she was mature beyond her years in many ways. In other ways, she was just plain bossy, needed to be in charge, and didn't take no for an answer. Because of these things and more, Nanny got to raise the baby. My parents named me Denise after my father, Dennis, Lynn after my mother, Carolyn, but on July 4th, 1963, the day of my birth, my poppy called me Nene and it stuck. When our car came to a stop in front of 1256 North River Drive, I threw all of my scant weight into the passenger door and yanked the long metal latch with both hands. If the door opened abruptly, I didn't have far to fall. The Bermuda grass was soft and thick if I happened to hit the ground. Nanny's house always had the best grass. The wooden front door stood open, but the screen door was not. Nanny would come to open it for me since I couldn't reach the latch, but if not, she would come within seconds of my bang, bang, bang upon the metal door with the palms of my hands. She and my father would wave at one another as I ducked under her arm and into the familiarity of my safe place. The house where I knew every corner and crack, what each closet contained, and the particular smell of each room. Most days, Poppy's home-cooked breakfast for me was cream of wheat. 
To this day, I have never been able to duplicate the creamy, sweet taste. Poppy had been a career Navy chef and did every bit of the cooking in the household. The one place Nanny was not in charge or welcome was in Poppy's kitchen. Poppy came from a culture where serving others was considered an honor, and he did it flawlessly. Each morning, several hours before I arrived, Nanny would make her way into the kitchen with her bathrobe tied around her pudgy middle, hard pink curlers in her hair, and slippers on her feet. She would take her place at the kitchen table, which was set with a plate, utensils, and a coffee cup overturned on a saucer. The morning newspaper was also there for her to read in complete silence. Nanny did not like any conversation until she had scanned the news headlines. At this time, she would lay the paper aside and turn her coffee cup right side up. This was Poppy's signal to pour her coffee and say, Good morning, honey, in his soft, sweet voice with a tinge of Hispanic accent. If any of this happened prior to the signal, she would claim that she felt rushed and would accuse him of wanting her out of his kitchen. During the warmer months, I was allowed to go through the garage and into the fenced-in backyard where I would swing for at least an hour. The swing set was given to me by my best friend at the time, a little boy in my own neighborhood named Tommy. Tommy's family was transferred to Puerto Rico, and the swing set was passed on to me and placed in Nanny's yard. I cried my eyes out when Tommy left, but I sure did love having the swing of my own. That swing stayed in Nanny's yard years after I had abandoned it for grander toys and friends. Last I can recall, its rusted poles were home to several bird feeders, the swings and slide long gone. However, to this day, I still own the doll Tommy sent to me from Puerto Rico. She is dressed in native costume and her eyes open and close. I wonder whatever happened to Tommy. Chapter 2 Mom Day Shopping Day Bill Day My early years with Nanny were guided by a regular and consistent schedule. After breakfast each day, Nanny would let me know our plans by making one of three statements. Number one, today is Mom Day. Number two, today is Shopping Day. Number three, today is Bill Day. On rare occasions due to weather, illness, or appointments, we would deviate from this schedule, but not often enough to mention. Mom was my great-grandmother and Nanny's mother. She and my great-grandfather lived a few miles away from Nanny's house. Nanny and Mom were not only mother and daughter, they were also best friends and confidants, being less than 20 years apart in age. They shared secrets and colluded with one another like girlfriends. If both of them ganged up against any member of the family, 
the war was already lost for that poor soul. On mom days, I was allowed to wear play clothes because we were only going to visit mom. On the ride over to mom's house, I was reminded that I was to greet mom as soon as I walked in the door. I was not to run around the house or go upstairs. I was to sit quietly like a little lady and not beg for food or drink unless she offered it to me. I was not to ask too many questions because mom was a private person and did not like other people to know her business. Lastly, I was to watch Nanny's face for a sign, which would tell me if mom was in a good mood or a bad mood. If the sign told me bad mood, I was allowed to go onto the screen porch in the back or walk around in the yard. I secretly prayed for the bad mood sign and my prayers were often answered. Our visits to mom's house happened several days a week and seemed to last for hours. On the way home, Nanny would always give me my report. If I was good, she praised me and then praised herself for teaching me manners. If I was not good, she told me that I would most likely never be asked back again because mom did not like unruly children. Would this have been such a bad thing? I never expressed to Nanny how boring these visits were for me and Nanny was only aware of about half of the mischief I got into at mom's house. By default, I learned to be very sneaky and quiet as a mouse while doing it. My mischief began innocently enough. Things like looking inside drawers, opening boxes, and handling fragile knickknacks. Once on my great-grandfather's sleeping porch, I came across a tin of snuff, but had no idea what it was. I opened it, smelled it, and then decided to taste it. Bad choice. I think I remember swallowing some of it and feeling ill for the rest of the day. The worst thing I ever did while visiting mom's house was to sneak upstairs into my uncle Buddy's room. Francis, Buddy Panuelis was Nanny's youngest sibling and my godfather. He never married and lived with his parents all of his life. He was a loving, gentle soul who was tall and lean with a somewhat misshapen back. Nanny attributed this to a lack of milk during the Depression years. This, of course, was most likely her perspective rather than fact. Uncle Buddy had all kinds of electronic gadgets and machines. One spring day, I found a microphone plugged into an amplifier. I fiddled with it until I found the power switch. The windows were wide open, so I leaned out of the window, microphone in hand, and proceeded to entertain the entire neighborhood with my rendition of a carnival master. Step right up, step right up. Look what I've got here. It took Nanny a few minutes to realize where the noise was coming from and exactly whose voice she was hearing. Needless to say, I did not get a good report that day, and I don't think we went back to visit for the remainder of the week. 
I loved two things about mom's house. First, she had an old grotto of the Virgin Mary in her garden. It was formed from cast concrete and chipping white paint gave it an interesting patina. The bottom was shaped like a clamshell and was meant to hold water. However, I usually found it bone dry. I made it my business to fill it when I could and would collect flowers to float in the water as an offering to the Virgin Mary. Second, the street in front of Mom's house was lined with beautiful crepe myrtles. Nanny parked underneath them in an attempt to shade the car during warmer months. After our visits, the car would be covered in crepe myrtle blossoms. On the way home, Nanny and I would pretend that our car was afloat in a parade, and I can remember doing a queen wave to other cars as they pass by, crepe myrtle blossoms flying in the breeze from the roof and hood of our car. Shopping days were my favorite for many reasons. First of all, I got to wear a dress, nice shoes, a hat, little white gloves, and carry a small purse. If I was wearing a coat, we picked out a brooch as well. Nanny dressed this way, so I did too. I had my own closet of clothes at Nanny's house, which she purchased and cared for. I loved my little girl purses because they always contained grown-up things. Nanny made sure to tuck a handkerchief, change purse, with at least a dime inside in case you needed to use a payphone, a Vicks cough drop, and a St. Christopher medal, patron saint of travelers, inside. The most special thing about carrying a purse was hearing the loud snap made by the little metal clasp on top. Open shut, open shut. For this reason, I was not allowed to take this purse to church on Sundays. Instead, I carried a white basket purse with plastic flowers on the lid. It had a quiet clasp, which was a small piece of elastic that stretched over a button closure. Certainly not as much fun. On shopping days, we drove into downtown Portsmouth to shop on High Street. We browsed in the famous, a department store full of ladies' clothes and accessories. Nanny tried on hats and coats. We smelled various perfumes, but I was always warned that these fragrances were much too strong for little girls. The famous was the only store in town that employed an elevator operator. This woman wore a uniform of some sort and sat on a tall stool with her eyes shut. I seriously never saw her with her eyes open. She operated the old cage elevator with a lever that swung forward and back. At each stop, she announced the floor number, eyes closed, and the name of the department. Second floor, ladies' lingerie. I always wanted to ask her a question just to see if she would open her eyes. Nanny forbade this, of course. Nanny's reasoning for the closed eyes was that this woman's job was so mundane that she didn't need to see. I'm sure she was right. Years later, I was to purchase my wedding gown 
on the third floor of the famous. On this day, Nanny and I rode the elevator together, and the closed-eyed employee was still there. Next, we walked down to Woolworth's. Now, this was much more interesting for me. I was allowed to navigate the store on my own for about 30 minutes. I loved the aisles that displayed toys, hair accessories, and sundries like coin purses, back scratchers, and fake birthstone rings. I was just tall enough to be able to see over the display counters and could reach most things which allowed for closer inspection. I was able to choose one thing to buy before we left. These were really difficult decisions on my part, and I never took them lightly. Nanny and I would eat lunch at the Woolworths lunch counter, which gave me time to mull over my purchase. We ordered the same thing each day. Tuna sandwich on toasted white bread and coffee for Nanny. Grilled cheese and milk for me. Occasionally, we would split a piece of pie for dessert, usually apple or peach, but never blueberry because Nanny didn't want me to stain my dress and get it all over my face. I am still a messy eater, and I love blueberry pie. After lunch, we visited Sears. Nanny was always in the market for new appliances, which I never remember her actually buying. This stop held little interest for me. However, I did love to catch a glimpse of Mr. Short. Mr. Short worked in the jewelry department and repaired watches. He was a dwarf, not much taller than me. The counter in Mr. Short's department was waist-high on a full-grown person, so I had to jump up and balance on my arms in order to look for him. I had to do this when Nanny wasn't looking because, of course, this was rude. Mr. Short does not want to be stared at by you, Nanny would say as she steered me away from his counter. I'm sure she was right, but I truly meant no harm. I also don't remember if his name was really Mr. Short. Probably not. Shopping day most often ended with me falling asleep in the car on the way home, holding tight to my prized purchase and my little purse. Bill days were always chaotic and dependent on the weather. Nanny paid most of her bills in person. On bill days, we would dress even more nicely than on shopping days. Bill days involved driving into Portsmouth to catch the tunnel bus over to Norfolk. Nanny did not drive through the tunnel. It bears mentioning that Nanny did all of the driving in her household. Poppy gave up his license after a fender bender in his 30s. I loved the smell of the big tunnel bus and found joy in dropping our fare a few coins into the glass container beside the driver. Nanny and I always sat near the front. I was warned not to sit too close to the side of the bus because people stick gum there. She held tightly onto my hand during the entire ride. I was allowed to stand up when it was time to pull down on the wire above our heads 
which resulted in a buzzing sound that told the driver someone wanted to get off. Norfolk had many tall buildings and each one looked very official. We had to go into at least five different ones to pay various bills. I still recall the sound Nanny's high heels made on the tile or marble floors. She narrated as we went along. This is where I pay the water bill. It costs a lot of money to have running water, and that is why I don't fill the pool up very often. The pool was a yearly purchase from Roses. It was a piece of metal which formed a circle. A sheet of plastic fit inside to hold the water. The metal circle was probably about one foot tall. Nanny used the garden hose to fill my pool with approximately two inches of water. I already knew about the expense, but her refusal to fill the pool with more water also came from a fear that I would somehow drown. Looking back, I remember having to lie down on my back in order to actually get fully wet. Plus, Nanny monitored my swimming from her shady spot under a nearby tree. Safety first! Bill days really tired me out because there was so much walking involved. Also, this was the city, so we had to be extra careful not to step on the metal grates found every so often on the sidewalks. Nanny had a fear of falling in if one happened to be lo loose. She would never have survived in New York City. Chapter 3 once upon a time. I mentioned earlier that I had an entire closet of clothes at Nanny's house. The truth is that I had an entirely separate life at Nanny's house. It was normal for me to switch gears from my parents' home and expectations to Nanny's home and expectations, and they were quite different. My hair was thin and wispy as a young child. Apparently, my mother was told by a hairdresser that keeping it cut very short, pixie style, would allow it to thicken up. Therefore, I sported a boyish short cut for several years. I hated this hairstyle and longed for the ponytails and banana curls I saw on other little girls. Nanny wanted my hair long as well. Because we weren't able to convince my mother to let it grow, Nanny and I came up with a creative alternative. Nanny learned to crochet from her mother, Mom. They created piles of intricate crochet pieces during their lifetimes, ranging from table doilies to bedspreads. They even crocheted dainty edges on handkerchiefs and pillowcases. I still have and use most of them. This passion for crochet guaranteed that there was a plethora of yarn at our, our disposal. One day while I was whining about wanting long flowing hair, Nanny stood up, hands on hips, and said, I can make that happen. She proceeded to pull out a ball of blue variegated yarn. Blue was always her favorite color. She carefully cut 50 or so long pieces, which she then braided, 
Each piece was tied off with a pretty ribbon. When the long braid was complete, she attached it to my head with a couple of bobby pins. I cannot tell you how wonderful I felt. I spent the rest of the day twirling and spinning, feeling my long flowing braids hitting my shoulders and back. I gazed into every mirror in the house, adoring my beautiful blue hair. I knew that my hair had to be left at Nanny's house, so I took it off each afternoon before my father arrived to drive me home. However, each morning at Nanny's, I lovingly pinned it back into place. I truly believe that my mother's decision to allow my hair to grow around the age of seven was a direct result of seeing photos of me wearing my yarn braid. Where there is a will, there is a way. One of the things I appreciate most about my childhood with Nanny is the way I was encouraged to use my imagination. In so many ways, she spoiled me rotten and doted on me to excess. This was achieved not with material things, but with time and attention. Looking back, I had few toys at Nanny's house. This required me to find creative ways to fill my time. Making things out of found objects, play acting and putting on shows, reciting poems and singing songs, all of these things molded me into the person I am today. Nanny was a devout Catholic and we attended Mass each Sunday. Those who are familiar with the Catholic Mass will know that it follows a distinct script and order with little deviation from week to week. It is a culture rich in ritual and tradition. Nanny not only made sure I was able to recite our prayers by heart, she also made sure that I understood the many parts of the Holy Mass and the rosary. I admit that most of this was pure memorization, but a deeper understanding came later. One of the things I loved to do for Nanny was to use her bathrobe as a vestment and play church. I adorned a table with all of the things found on the altar, a big Bible, a chalice, a plate, and candles. Nanny would serve as the congregation and I was the priest. I could honestly recite practically the entire Mass by heart. This made my Nanny so very proud. One day I decided to play church back in her bedroom. I gathered all the things I would need, including small pieces of white bread, which I smashed into flat circles to resemble the Eucharist. As I said Mass, one of my flailing arms knocked over a candle. The flame caught the edge of the table scarf and caught fire. I didn't know what to do. So I quickly ran out of the room and shut the door behind me. Obviously, this was a very poor choice. Within a few minutes, Nanny could smell the smoke. She sprinted down the hall and threw open her bedroom door, which revealed the top of her dresser engulfed in flames. I do not remember many of the details. I'm sure I blocked them from my memory. 
but I do know that Nanny and Poppy used buckets and water from the bathtub to put out the fire. I didn't have to explain what had occurred because it was obvious given the evidence I left behind. That may have been the last time I ever played church. The camera was perhaps Nanny's favorite invention. She always had one ready to capture special moments and ordinary days. When the time came for me to clean out her home, I found at least 75 photo albums. Each album was labeled as to its contents, weddings, baby pictures, vacation to Florida, etc. Not only this, but each photo was labeled in her hand. Jerry and Elizabeth, ages 10 and 2, London, England. Nene's fifth birthday at the beach. I spent months sorting these photos, her finger in the way of many of them, into piles for each member of our family. I hope they appreciate them as much as I do. Who knew how valuable they would become as the years passed by? I mention this because about once a month, Nanny and I would plan a photo shoot. This consisted of me dressing up in various outfits while posing around the house or in the yard. Nanny would be the photographer encouraging me to smile or turn this way or that. I felt like a movie star back then, and I suppose I was, to her at least. All that was missing was the red carpet. I will continue with my memoir, Cherished Child, My Life with Nanny, at a later time. <music>